Daly shared just a few moments ago an illustration about an individual leaning on a podium, and she said that if the podium were removed and you would continue to stand, then that means you're probably not leaning as much as you would claim. The reality is, unfortunately, there are many who claim to lean on the name of Jesus Christ, yet unfortunately, far too many, if you remove the podium, you would discover they're not really leaning at all, just standing on their own. I say that to preface what I'm going to share with you this morning, because the reality is, I believe the church is at a point where we desperately need to hear something different and to be something different. I will tell you, this is a very unique message for me. Um, I've preached for 24 years and have never preached a sermon based on an actual dream that I had had. But then again, I've never had the same dream three nights in a row before either. The dream begins with a huge mass of people flooding into what appears to be a church. Some are coming by choice, others only because they have to. Some are coming just to get something for themselves. Others are coming to celebrate what they've already received. There are wide walkways or hallways. In, in my mind, I pictured, uh, I don't know if you've ever been to the Washington Monument or the, uh, in Washington, D.C., there are these huge walkways where people will walk down and you've got grass, but nobody ever touches the grass. They stay on the sidewalks. You have huge walkways. The hallways are crowded so crowded that it makes you feel almost claustrophobic, with people constantly bumping into one another. There is hardly room to breathe, and everyone is initially heading in the same direction, but there are two exit doors. One door is wider, and the overwhelming majority of people are entering through that door. It doesn't seem like the people have a choice as to which door they take. It's as if their decision has already been made. As the mass, mass of people funnel into the large doors, the crowd quickly thins out for those going into the smaller doors. I feel like I can breathe again. Both doors seem to lead to worship of some sort, but again, some are there by choice, others because they have to be there. There is a sense of finality with both groups. Now, I do not claim to have some special ability regarding dreams. That's why I've never preached about a dream before. The reality is that I typically dream crazy things that I can't remember 15 minutes after I wake up. But this dream was repeated three times in a row and I could remember it, so I felt like it was maybe God asking me to share this. Regarding the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. I'm not really as young as I used to be, so maybe this fits me better than I would like to admit. An old man dreaming dreams. I also have never been one who has had the ability to interpret dreams, like the prophet Daniel or the Old Testament Joseph. But there are some very clear biblical truths that coincide with the dream that I just shared with you. First, all of humanity is moving toward a climactic event. I had Josh read a passage to you earlier from Revelation chapter 20, which talks about the great white throne judgment. There is no doubt that all of humanity will one day stand before God and everything we know will be changed. 
In Matthew 24, Jesus declared that no one knows that day or hour when, the, when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself, only the Father knows. But the scriptures also declare on multiple occasions that God's judgment is coming for all of humanity. For example, Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Not only does that mean every deed you or I have committed, but every deed committed by every human being. We will all be held accountable. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And in Acts 17, verse 30 through 31, we read, In the past God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. In addition, we read in Philippians 2, verse 10 through 11, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That includes even those who are reluctant to do so. And Romans 14.10 reminds us that we will all bow before the judgment seat of God. And so, it will be at this point when God will judge humanity. Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14, that we are to enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Unfortunately, what that means is there will be far more people who will reluctantly bow down before the Lord and face eternal death, as opposed to those who will willingly come into his presence and hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. You know, last weekend was tax-free shopping day in South Carolina. It was Friday, Saturday, and Sunday when we prepared to go back to school. While we're grateful to not have to pay taxes on all of the stuff that you get for school, it's truly only a little bit better than Black Friday shopping. You know, every year we try to do a little Black Friday shopping in our family. Typically, for Thanksgiving, we have traveled to Alabama. At times we've traveled to Virginia, but since my mom lives here now, we probably won't be doing that again for a while. But every year we'll try to do a little bit of Black Friday shopping, looking for that special deal that, man, it's just, it's going to blow your socks off because you're so excited you won't be able to get this deal any other time of the year. I remember several years ago walking into a Best Buy around midnight on Thanksgiving night and being greeted by an employee. There was already a line outside. We had stood out there probably for about an hour. This employee wanted to know what I was there to get. I told him and he pointed me to the right line. And then I stood in another line 
for the next 45 minutes, only to reach the front of the line and realize he had sent me to the wrong line. Not a great experience. In Matthew 7, verse 21 through 23, Jesus is speaking and he says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Well, I fear that many in the church and in society are standing in the line, marching toward the front. And there's the expectation that when they get to the front, it's going to be all good for them. They've been good people. I had a guy tell me this week, I was making a hospital visit and I was wanting to find out, first of all, how he was spiritually. Obviously, you're concerned about the physical needs that are present, but I was concerned about the spiritual needs that are present. So I asked him, if you were to die today, would you be ready to meet the Lord Jesus Christ? His response is, well, I've been semi-good, so I'm hoping that would be enough. Obviously, I spent the next 15 minutes explaining to him that our goodness is never enough. Our goodness, our righteousness is nothing but filthy rags. And if you think you're going to get to heaven just because you're good, you are mistaken. It goes back to leaning on the podium. Remove the podium and you can still stand. You probably weren't really leaning in the first place. You've done it all on your own. There are plenty, though, who think that because they've been good people, they will make it to heaven. Others would suggest that perhaps they've said some magic prayer many years ago, and therefore their ticket has been punched. Forget about the fact that they lived this life just as immorally as they did before saying that prayer. Then there are those who think that their knowledge is enough. They know the scriptures and they can argue theology. When the pastor stands up and preach, they listen. And instead of applying the message to themselves, they identify what they can critique from the message. All their knowledge is useless if it's not applied to their hearts. Still, there are others who keep this spiritual scorecard. They want to pinpoint all the things that they've done. They went to church this week. They gave money for a mission trip. They sang so many hymns. They even prayed with their family a couple times this week. Can you imagine reaching the front of the line only to discover that all of your knowledge, all of your good works, all of your spirituality simply led you to the wrong line? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Listen, the only way to make sure you're in the right line is through Jesus Christ. That passage I read earlier from, uh, from the book of um, Acts 17, 
Verse 30 through 31, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof to this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Well, God calls us to repent, to turn from our sin, and instead to pursue him with a passion. We are told that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There is no other way. All your knowledge, man, I celebrate the fact that many of you in here are probably smarter than me. I think it's fantastic. I I set the bar kind of low, so some of you guys are thinking, well, that doesn't mean a whole lot. I celebrate that you can quote scripture after scripture. I celebrate the fact that you can argue theology with other people from other theological backgrounds. But if you cannot apply the word of God to your own heart and you do not reach a point where you repent of your sin, calling upon him and allowing him to be the Lord of your life, then it is powerless. It is useless. I celebrate the fact that there are some really good people here. But all of your goodness... It's nothing. You cannot do enough good to make up for the evil that has existed in your life. The wages of sin, every sin, is death. Can you imagine you had been drinking and driving one night, and as a result of your foolishness, you accidentally killed a young man? You went to prison. And while you're in prison, you determine you will do everything you can to make up for the wrong that you have done. So finally you get out. The first thing you do is you go to the parents of that young man and you tell them you're sorry and you're going to do everything possible to make up for the loss of your son. So every time there's a need, you go and do it. You clean their gutters. You shovel snow, not that you have to do that around here. You go get groceries for them. You cut their grass. You do all the things that he would have done for them. At what point... Have you done enough good to make up for the evil that occurred? It can never be done. The only way that any of us will ever receive salvation, eternal life, is by the grace of Jesus Christ. It is only when he extends that offer of grace and we respond call upon his name and we not only recognize him as the savior of the world but we accept him as our lord i do not claim to know when the day of judgment will come but i do know that it will come i know because god has been faithful to keep every other promise that he's ever made which means this is consistent with who he is Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And then he promises to come back for us so that we can be where he is today. He's talking about the day of Christ's return, the day of judgment. Jesus made many other statements regarding his return. But the point is that it will happen and we need to be ready for it when it does. We won't be able to make that decision at the judgment. We need to do it now. The good news is that this judgment has not occurred yet. Again, I don't know when it will occur, but it could be very soon. 
based on the call that's there in Acts chapter 17, verse 30 through 31, the call is for us to repent, for all people everywhere to repent. For now, there is still time for us to make things right with God. But I will also add that we are not guaranteed tomorrow or even the rest of today. The story of Jonah has always been fascinating to me. Most people remember it solely because of the great fish or the whale. But what God does through Jonah is huge. He sent as a missionary to the people of Nineveh. The people of Nineveh were an ungodly group of people. They weren't Israelites. They were simply another nation that had a horrible reputation. They were an ungodly group of people. Now, there are times that we see God's judgment extended, but most often it is extended toward the Israelites in the Old Testament. And and the reason for that is because God seemed to hold them to a higher expectation. They carried the name of God. They were the ones who were to represent him well. It's pretty significant that another nation receives a prophet of Israel. It means God looks upon their sin and it had to be incredibly significant. So Jonah brings this message to them and his message was simply that the judgment of God was coming quickly. They were about to die. But then something crazy happens. These people turn to God, they seek his forgiveness, and they turn from their sin. The things that they were doing today, the next day they decide, I'm not doing it anymore. I will not be identified by that sin. I will not be defeated by that sin. In response, God forgives them. It apparently wasn't too late yet. As long as you have breath, It is not too late for you either. There's a verse that I've quoted to you on many occasions from 1 John 1, 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And when we confess Christ as Lord, we give up control of our lives, choosing to do things God's way. And not our own way. Until the day that Christ returns, we must be sure to live as one who has been forgiven and redeemed. This is where I look at the the wrong line and it causes me concern. I believe in the church today, we have focused very strongly on this need for repentance, a a need to pray for God's forgiveness. We celebrate it as a church. When an individual prays a prayer of repentance, we celebrate it. If I were to announce today that I led someone to Christ this week, every one of us would begin to cheer because we're supposed to celebrate something like that. We're told that in heaven, the angels rejoice over one sinner who repents of his sins. We should celebrate that. But God never intended for his people to continue to live in their sin after they've reached that point of repentance. Instead, he desires that they be changed. 
Matthew chapter 28, we're called to go and make disciples. Not just believers, not just people who pray to prayer, not just those who will take on the name Christian, but those who will take on the characteristics of Christ. Those who will walk in his footsteps and those who will love on the community and the people around them the way he would love on the community and the people around them. But we focus so much on one aspect of it that I fear that many who sit in our services every Sunday might be sitting in the wrong line. It's not a me passing judgment on anyone, but I do want you to realize if you prayed a prayer of repentance, but it never changed who you are, there is probably something wrong. If you have prayed at some point saying, God, forgive me of my sin, yet you continue down the same path you were on before, there's probably something wrong. God never intended for his people to remain in their sin. Paul asked the question, shall I continue in sin so that grace might abound even more? And then he answered the question for us, absolutely not. No way. There are many who would define themselves as Christians today, but they might be standing in the wrong line. I take responsibility for some of that, because I know that there have been times that my goal has been to preach someone to a point of repentance, and maybe I haven't done a good enough job helping to disciple people to become the men and women of God that he called us to be. The church as a whole has failed at making disciples. But it's time for that to change. And it has to begin with us. We need to be people who will actually model what Christ has done. Seek him out to find out what he would do, the way he would love. It's an old theme that actually comes from a Wesleyan youth convention, but it's been used throughout society and nobody even knows the Wesleyan church had anything to do with it. The theme was WWJD, what would Jesus do? Maybe it's time for us to once again ask that question. I don't believe that your works are going to save you. But I do believe that if you are genuinely transformed and redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, your works should be different today than they were yesterday. We ought to be being transformed. I talked earlier about Jesus being the only way to make sure we are in the right line. Listen to what I mean. The wages of sin has always been death. We couldn't just do a lot of good to make up for the bad. We couldn't just be more spiritual. But God made a way for forgiveness. He sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die so that we would not have to pay the price for our sin. Jesus paid that price for you and for me. He then conquered death three days later by rising from the dead. And today he is with the Father in heaven preparing a place for you and me. And one day, he will come back and he will take us to be with him. 
my greatest purpose in ministry is to make sure that when that day comes, that you will be ready. I'm not just talking about this moment where you say, God, forgive me. I'm talking about this moment where you begin to allow God to transform who you are. Never had a dream three nights in a row. Not the same one. I'm not telling you that the judgment of God is coming this week or next week or even next year. But I am telling you that it's coming. There was a time the pastor stood in the pulpit and they beat on the pulpit and they yelled and in many ways they tried to scare people into heaven. Well, Maybe it's time for us to be a little scared about hell once more. See, hell is a real place. Heaven is a real place. And I want you to know that when that time comes for that decision to be made, that you can be ready. My favorite verse of scripture, some of you guys probably could quote it because you've heard me say it over and over again. Revelation 3, 21. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat with my father on his throne. Those are the words of Jesus himself. He is declaring there is nothing to fear. For those who are in Christ Jesus, those who have surrendered their lives to him, there is nothing to fear, but rather there is a great reward. We have a reason to look forward to the day of Christ's judgment. We have a reason to celebrate because at that point, all of the struggles of this world will be gone. We'll no longer have to deal with the pain and the heartache of this world. We will be welcomed in to the presence of God. What a privilege. Not to sit in front of him, not to sit nearby, not to sit across from him. He says, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. I kind of picture Jesus filling the throne himself. So does that mean we get to actually sit in his lap and simply enjoy the presence of a holy God? For those who are ready, we have a reason to rejoice. But for those who are not, we need to recognize that those two gates, those two doorways, they may be, both be going into the presence of the Lord, but some are going for a judgment that you don't want to be a part of. I don't want the Lord to say to me, away from me, for I never knew you. I want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. What will he say to you? I'm going to ask everyone to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Perhaps today, as you've heard this message, you have begun to maybe even question whether or not you are right with God. I know you said a prayer at some point, or I know you've worked really hard to be good, but it's much more than just keeping a list of do's and don'ts. Maybe today there are individuals who simply need to surrender their lives to Christ. One day we will be held accountable. We will stand before God and he will either welcome us in or he will cast us out. According to the passage in Acts 17, God is calling all of us, people everywhere, to repent. Maybe you need to do that today. I would like to be able to pray for those 
who perhaps feel as though they are in that category, would you simply raise your hand where you're at? Father, I come before you today, and I am grateful for your salvation. I'm grateful to know that you have given your life for us. Lord, some of us have been in church for a long time. Some of us have been here for 30, 40 years. But we've not truly been leaning on you. Remove the podium and we would still stand. But I pray that every person in this room today would lean wholly on you. And I pray that you would grant us a desire for you more than anything else in this world. Lord, I pray that you would help us to make sure that when that day comes, we will be ready because we've been spending time with you in a continual relationship every day from this point moving forward. Lord, I pray for your forgiveness. I pray that you would take our brokenness and our sin and that you would make us whole. Wash away the sin never to be held against us again and put us on a path that would truly honor you. Lord, I pray for each one who is here today that this would be more than just a moment, but rather this would be the beginning of something fantastic. Thank you for giving your life for us. Thank you for paying the price for our sins so that we could have the hope and the promise of eternal life with you. Lord, I pray that you would have your way in us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning we are going to celebrate the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. As I just talked about, God has made a way for our sins to be forgiven. And it is only because of what he did on the cross that forgiveness is possible to us. Today I'm going to have several individuals who are going to come and they're going to help serve communion and we'll serve at a couple different stations up here at the front. And what I will ask you to do is as we partake of these elements, these are just ordinary elements, just bread and grape juice, but they represent something far greater. So consider what it means to you. Jesus said specifically, this bread represents my body that's broken for you. This wine or grape juice represents my blood that is shed for you. What does the sacrifice of Christ mean to you? How are you different? How have you been transformed because of what he did? We've been talking here about leaning on the podium. Are you leaning on him? Is your life different or are you still walking the same way you did before? As we partake in these elements, I want to challenge you today to simply examine how much of an impact the body and the blood of Jesus Christ has made on you. For me, I was a sinner that was destined for hell. I was an individual who did not deserve the grace of God, but he offered it to me anyways. What's your story? We're going to pray, and as we do, I'm going to ask those who are going to be serving this morning, if they would come forward, and uh, I will distribute the elements to them. Uh, as they give them out to you, we just ask that you come. Everyone receive the elements, take them back to your pews, 
And once everyone has them, we will all partake of them together at the same time. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you, Lord, we are grateful for the body and the blood. We're grateful that you loved us enough that you would send your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. And I pray right now that as we partake of these common, ordinary elements, that it would take on incredible meaning to us. I pray that you would help us as we do this to realize how much it means to our daily lives. We are made new because of you. And I pray right now that you would simply help us to make this more than a ritual. Allow this to be a time for us to simply say thanks to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I ask you to come and receive the elements of communion. As Jesus prepared for the cross, he tried to prepare his disciples for the cross. And he gave them hints of things that would take place, but surely they did not fully understand it until after the resurrection had occurred. But on the night of Jesus' arrest, he told them that these things would happen, that his body would be broken and his blood would be shed. And Jesus Christ gave them a glimpse of the brokenness in humanity. Jesus had never sinned, yet he would take the weight of sin upon himself so that we would not have to do that. He would take our brokenness upon himself so that we could experience the forgiveness that he alone could offer. He said, this bread which you eat at every meal, take this, eat it. And every time you do it, remember my body that was broken for you. Then he took wine. This is just grape juice. But he took it and he said, this represents my blood that is shed for you. And he said, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. He said, every time you drink of this, which would have been at every meal, every time you drink of this, I want you to remember my blood being shed for you. Father, as we come before you today, We thank you for the body that was broken and the blood that was shed. And today we ask that you would help us to live in celebration of your sacrifice. Help us to be people who every day seek your will and your desire. Help us to seek you above all else. Help us, Lord, to honor you in the way we live. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I will ask if you'll leave the cups in the pews and we'll take care of coming back through to get them afterwards. I do thank you for being a part of our service and I invite you back if you would like to come next Sunday. We would love to have you again. We won't do communion every Sunday, but we would love to have you back with us. Thank you and go in peace.